0: I feel like this had the, the, One of my first thoughts Listening to this Was it was like The reverse Bee Gees Effect where You know that Bee Gees song We talked about Where within two seconds I was like This song sucks <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of 1001 Album Complaints. It's the show where longtime friends and musicians get together to discuss a randomly selected album from Robert Dymory's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Each week we do a bit of a deep dive of a new album and at the end we vote on whether or not we think you actually need to listen to this album. This week, we've been listening to an artist who I think is most definitely known more for his personal life than his accomplishments, which I've come to learn are are quite remarkable. That artist is Kanye West, or Ye, as he styles himself these days. And the album is My Beautiful, Dark, Twisted Fantasy. Before we jump in, uh, Rob, I understand we have a little bit of fan mail this week. What what you got for us?
1: Yeah, let's go to the old mailbag here. We've been getting some good mail. Sorry we haven't been more consistent with reading from the scads and scads of envelopes that stuff our box every week, but you try to be a little better about it going forward. So here's one from listener Beck. I didn't know your podcast existed until today when I saw that someone posted this episode on a Bell and Sebastian Facebook page. I Love, Belle and Sebastian, and this album, she means if you're feeling sinister, was the first one I heard as a 14-year-old teenage girl. Not depressed, but an angsty high schooler, so enough said, I found your review hilarious, and I couldn't disagree with anything any of you said, even your conflicting opinions. I loved how even as you were ripping into aspects of the songs, you remained totally respectful and respected each other's opinions, and it made for a completely enjoyable listen.
0: Loved it respect our opinions that uh, she actually that listens was, to this wow, show was, first of all that was i know that's gonna sound like i made that up but that is a real piece of listening that's man, one of the kindest so.
2: things anyone's ever said and I, I was i even i wasn't even on that podcast
0: <laughs> right that might have been the reason yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, yeah good me fun. either so i think we're we're finding some uh consistency here
1: i think the fact that any women listen to us at all is is actually very heartening and surprising so i agree I have one piece of counterpoint feedback. So, listener Bill writes, It would be really helpful if you had one guy on the podcast who knows something. Uh, (laughs) Well, you're not going to get that today, so. (laughs) I'm just joking. He goes on. Who knows something. (laughs) If he he would know something about hip-hop. I'm listening to Gangstar, and factual errors and lack of contextual insight is driving me crazy. So, he continues, I just feel like the context of what rap sounded like in 1990 and 1991 gets a little lost, which, you know, is understandable 30 years on. But Step in the Arena, that's the Gangstar uh, album that we covered, is a standout album. According to listener Bill, it just isn't as good as the absolute best albums of the era, like Low End Theory or De La Soul is Dead. And for instance, Pulse Boutique was released only six months before the first pressing of Step in the Arena. So no one else was going this sample crazy at the time. So I just thought that was
0: important to mention. That's fair. That's fair. I uh, well, I feel like I'm, I'm being put on notice a little bit here since we are doing a hip hop album today. So yeah, it seemed appropriate. Dear listener, I got you, man. I got you.
2: You probably don't. No, I don't. And, <laughs> no, we probably
1: don't. <laughs> get get ready, get ready for more get ready for more uninformed opinions, I'm sure. But listen, we couch them that way, and we love to hear from you the listener. I found that really interesting, so I recall on that episode, it was a few weeks back now, that we were talking about samples and we were comparing a lot to the other records of that era a little bit unfavorably, which this listener kind of admits is fair, but also mentions that the timeline is important to mine. So Paul's Boutique was a seminal album, but maybe that hadn't even reached the ears of the Gangster Crew, for instance, right? So we love to be corrected. We love to learn more. We started this podcast because we want to learn about more about music that we love and and have more annoying musical anecdotes to trade between each other and other people who don't care as much.
0: Yeah, bring it on. I, I agree. If you if you have anything else, I'm sure the uh, mail is going to flood in after this episode. So feel free to hit us up at one thousand one album complaints at gmail dot com. Let us know what you think. On that note, if you like what we're doing, if you don't like it and want to tell us so in um, written form or even send an audio clip of uh, yelling, that's fine, too. (laughs) We'll definitely play that. Oh, yeah. If you want to get on the air, that's that's easiest path forward. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, all the, uh, you know, like, subscribe, review, tell a friend is probably the best way to uh, to help people find us in the uh, various platforms. We would appreciate that.
1: Well, and I'll just add or, or post this to a, a Kanye fan page or a relevant fan page. I thought that was a great way to get the word out and, and also to get us yelled at. So if you want either one of those things to happen, that's a great option for you is to post this link somewhere where a lot of fans of that
0: artist are going to be and they can school us. All right, let's, let's jump right in here and give you a flavor of this album. If you haven't heard it before, we'll give you a quick ep- excerpt here of the opening track called dark fantasy.
3: fantasize about this back in Chicago Mercy, mercy me, that mercy a go, that's me the first year that I blow, how you say broken Spanish Me no I blow, me drown sorrow in that Diablo, me found bravery in my bravado DJs need to listen to the models, you ain't got no fucking Yeezy in Serato, you ain't got no Yeezy, nigga stupid, but what the hell do I know I'm just a shot town nigga with a nice flow, and my chick in that new Phoebe Philo, so much kid, i woke up to sleepy hollow can we get much higher oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. Look like
0: a okay let's introduce our key players today we'll, we'll go around the room and by way of a tweet length review of this album introduce yourself let's start with you phil
2: yes it's phil friend of Rob and Alan for many years you probably met me on the podcast before, and my thoughts on the the record this week is is where have you been all my life, Kanye West?
0: Oh, he's been there. He I know. Has been there. I know he has. The, <laughs> I mu- he the has. music, I that's been you know lurking a little bit.
2: <laughs> oh man, what a lunatic! We'll we'll get into it, but I'll 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 start there. I'll start I'll start off optim- very optimistically.
0: Good. Okay. What about you, Rob?
1: Yeah, this is Rob here. My tweet length review. Is bloated but sort of brilliant. I was bored and I had fun. There were lots of different emotions. It's like that sometimes. I mean, ridiculous.
0: <laughs> I think that it actually makes a lot of sense that it's the album's very messy. It's very chaotic, like the individual himself. And you sort of take the good with the bad. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. And this this is Alan here. My tweet length review is. This man's generational talent is so off the charts that it does make it much easier to accept his public and tragic personal flaws. Of course, I'm referring to Michael Jackson, but I would also say the exact same thing <laughs> about Kanye West. So the album here is my my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy. And obviously everyone knows who Kanye West is. I don't know that we need to do too much biography on him, although we can sort of touch on his upbringing slightly because I do think that plays into his... His persona and the way he kind of comes across as an artist but this album was was his fifth album it was released in 2010 and probably what everybody knows him most for this was a response to which is the very infamous taylor swift incident for anyone that's been living under a rock or pays no attention to pop culture he very famously stole the mic from taylor swift at the 2009 vma awards while she was accepting her award for best video i think it was and let you know, let's just play a clip yo taylor I,
3: i'm really happy for you i'm gonna let you finish but beyonce had one of the best videos of all time one of the best videos of all time
0: So I think this incident was actually what, you know, by this point in his career, he was already an extremely accomplished producer. He's probably the best producer, like, on the scene, period. And by this point, had kind of built himself up into the best rapper um, against many odds, which we can kind of get into in a moment. But this put him in that, like, stratosphere of kind of worldwide jackass or buffoon. In fact, Obama even called him a jackass during a uh during a hot mic in an interview and this album was essentially a response to to that. Not a direct response, not a direct apology, but a a bit of a reflection for him. You know, after that incident, he Went into a bit of a self-imposed exile. He did some international travel. I think he went to Japan, Rome, and, and kind of just cooled his heels a little bit.
2: Wait, after Obama dissed him?
0: Well, after the, the Taylor Swift <laughs> the incident. Mic.
2: Yeah, after Taylor, the Taylor
0: Swift. The, the, yeah, the Taylor
1: Swift was a shitstorm for him. Yeah. Of people wanting to cancel him and yell at him when, and all these stink pieces exactly? about what he...
2: That was around the... That was over like a Beyonce record, if I recall.
1: oh9 and oh, he was... That was, Okay. He was saying that the Beyonce single ladies video, which was the black and white dancing one shot, should have won instead of Taylor Swift, who I think was a relatively new artist at the time. But of course, she also has a very devoted fan base,
2: right?
0: Exactly. And he was also I mean, he was bombed on Hennessy, you know, and he he even admits that like, he's seen just chugging like the entire night. And so by the time he went up there, uh, he he was definitely sauced and. It showed he did go on Leno, I think the next night and do a bit of an apology, but he seemed a little out of his a little out of sorts at that point. And so, yeah, that was the I don't think it was the Obama per se. But I mean, when the president of the United States, who's also a black man from Chicago, where Kanye is from, that's got to hurt. Right. So, yeah, So
2: No, it's a good point. That's a great point. You know, great context.
0: Well, I, I mean, I read
1: he, yeah, he needed a break from fame and paparazzi for a minute, which is understandable on a number of levels, particularly when you're getting hammered like this, but just him dealing with fame generally. But I read that he went to Milan and was briefly like an intern at Fendi for like $500 a month where he was just getting people coffee. What's Fendi? It's a luxury fashion brand. Oh, okay. And at the time, he was saying that he was going to be more focused on fashion than music. And he was there was ideas out there. He said that he might give up music entirely and just focus on fashion.
0: I was wondering why on his Wikipedia, they referred to him as rapper, producer and fashion. I don't think they said mogul, but fashion designer of some sort. Maybe he's done other stuff. I'm not very familiar with that side of his, uh, portfolio.
1: But, um, I like how you had to ask what that designer brand was. I think our wives are quite different.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, your wife doesn't shop at uh, goodwill and REI.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, yeah. So in other words, I mean, he was, he was pretty down and out, but, but interestingly enough, He had he had sort of achieved the fame that he had always wanted. You know, he was he was by this point regarded as a a superstar. Um, Even Taylor Swift, when when asked about it afterwards, they said, you know, are you still a Kanye fan? And she said, well, yeah, it's Kanye West. You know, in her mind, it was, you know, he was sort of larger than life. By that point, he was definitely a superstar in the hip hop business. He actually came up. He's one of these guys and he he mentions this in his uh, in one of the songs that he's got two belts, right? And presuming that to mean he's got a belt in hip in rapping and producing, which sounds like it might be like a a straightforward feat, but he came up as a producer and really had to barge his way into being taken seriously as a rapper. Um, In fact, when he got signed on to Rockefeller records to produce for Jay-Z and others, he, he was, he was such a great producer at that time that they let him rap early on just as a means to keep him on the payroll to make beats for everybody else. But they laughed at him in, you know, he'd come in and try to uh, rap his beats. And when he left the room, you know, they would laugh at him because getting back into his backstory a little bit, he kind of grew up in like a middle class upbringing in in chicago he his mom was like an english professor at a local college and unfortunately i I think this kind of sucks but it i think he wasn't seen as like gangster enough early on in his career he wasn't super profane he wore polo shirts and and he was very like unorthodox you know kind of person and rapper and you know ultimately he you know, took a shot on his own, produced uh, the college dropout, which is actually a, a really great album. If you have a chance to to check that out. Long story short, he ended up going into Hawaii for a summer and put on what he called a rap camp, which he essentially just brought in tons of collaborators. Everyone from you know Jay Z, uh, Bonnie Vere, randomly, uh, Elton John appears on the track. He he sought to really produce like an expansive highly produced, complete opposite of like a minimalist album. And that's what he came out with here. I'm curious your guys overall thoughts on this, because this was like a bit of a revelation for me. I think everyone knows who Kanye West is, but I hadn't really spent a ton of time with his music. This was by far my first deep dive. And um, I came away with some changed sort of Expectations. What would you guys think like overall of this album?
2: I mean, you, you've already touched on some things, Rob, as well, that, I mean, I think I agree with. It's, it's definitely bloated, right? But sometimes it's bloated in an almost like steely Dan sort of like maximalist way, right? Sometimes it's bloated and it works. Sometimes it's bloated and it's bloated. I mean, at almost 70 minutes long, you know, I'm sure we could all agree like you could have trimmed some fat here. Um, But I think it's pretty great when it's working, right? Like, I think the really solid moments are really, really pretty amazing.
1: Yes, I would agree with all that. My experience with him is I had never heard this record, and I'm not even really sure I had heard these hit songs before, to be honest. I'm pretty checked out of the pop world. But I had spent a decent amount of time with the College Dropout, his first record, And and not when it came out, I don't know, sometime in the last 10 years. And so from that, I got a little bit of a sense of who he was, which is someone who does really interesting production, uses interesting samples, creates a lot of interesting textures, things like that. And so that paid off here. I've, I heard more of that here, and that's those are the things I liked. But that said, art by committee is historically a terrible idea. So 70-plus minutes long, 70-plus celebrity cameos – and whatever the hell is going on with this cover art, like this, it has problems also. But yeah, I agree. The high points are really high. I I like him and I respect him a little more after understanding a little bit more about where he's coming from. And to go back to where he's coming from overall, I watched... Well, okay, Alan mentioned a couple reasons, right? One, he was pigeonholed as a producer. He had been really successful as a producer. He made H to the Izzo, for instance, which was a huge hit for Jay-Z, right? And and a bunch of others. Number two, he was he was from middle-class family, as Alan mentioned. And number three, he was from a city that didn't exactly have hip-hop cred, which was Chicago. And I, I noticed him, at least in his mind, he thinks that's a big factor, that the Chicago scene had not... Really come online, and that was it. Was harder for the New York guys to accept somebody coming from from Chicago with this uniquely Chicago style. But just one before I get off the mic, just one more thing I wanted to mention because I watched some of the Netflix documentary Genius with a J, which is a documentary that Kanye's close friend was making about him before he was famous, back when he was a producer. Which already is really tells you something about a person. They agreed for a documentary film crew to follow them around before they have fame. (laughs) That tells you something about his personality. Yeah. You never know when you need that in your back pocket. Let's
2: let's let's pause right there, right? Because that's a nice that's a nice spot for this. Kanye West has one of the largest egos. I've ever seen on display it's insane but it like it reaches that like Michael Jordan Tom Brady status like that Mm -hmm. insane confidence is part of it it's insane how self-confident he is like literally insane but like no doubt that's a superpower as well
1: agreed and the point I was trying to make was that before this week I had thought that that was a byproduct of fame but from watching this documentary, it indicates to me that it was there. He was, yes. in quotes, extra from an early age, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and also to hear him talk more about his creative process and how he really believes in the discipline of work, of creative work, right? Of just grinding. And you hear about how this record was made, too, and it mm-hmm. it involves that. So even though I... I don't agree with the art by committee aspect of it. He certainly works really hard to get
0: to these results, and I appreciate that.
2: Yeah, I I do agree with the grinding, right? Like, you should grind.
0: Say what you want about the guy, he has busted his ass, and to the point of of mania, and I think, you know, I'm not going to play sort of armchair psychologist here, but, I mean, he's got to be affected by some sort of mental illness. I think he even is is somewhat open about that and possibly that has translated into his his work ethic but even coming up he you know because of those things you talked about rob like not having the the street cred from chicago he had to you know he just had to put in his time and he spent basically if he wasn't in school he was at home like learning how to make beats banking old, you know, just samples of old kind of soul songs and and things that he thought sounded good so that he can kind of pull those out when he needed them. And, And I do think that's one thing that, you know, I think we talked about this a lot with the Beastie Boys episode that we did where you can definitely blur the line between just straight up like stealing a song versus, you know, how you sample it and how you put some things together. I think his ear is so I I think it's a it's a very unique he's got a unique sort of lens on music and the things he finds to pull together that really sound amazing things that like I would never think of things that don't seem like they belong that he's able to make those work. I do think a lot of that has also been through that that hard work. You know, another aspect of his story was that as he was coming up as a producer, the way he made his living was, was just by selling beats for like 50 to 75 bucks to local rappers. So he was just grinding, producing, producing. He just, yeah, he just did it. And even with this album, he barely slept. He, you know, was meticulous. He was driving the people he worked with somewhat crazy with, with redos and, and all those production aspects that he probably could have said, Hey, this is, this is done. Yeah. The work ethic is definitely there.
1: Well, they talk about some of these songs. I heard him say 5,000 man hours went into one of the tunes. It might have been all of the lights. They talked about it like it was forging a sword, like beating it into position over time. (laughs) Yeah, again and again and again. Heat it up and beat it again until it's right. It kind of
2: sounds like that, too.
1: It kind of sounds like that, Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's an alternate perspective on the multiple collaborators approach. You know, he goes to Hawaii to be sequestered, but then he brings in like everybody from the industry and even from outside the hip hop industry to come collaborate with them. I wonder if that was in a weird semi-genius way calculated to get more of the community on his side since he was in this underdog position again and he needed a comeback. And I noticed what made me think of that was that as they were doing these sessions, I think, they started collaborating a little bit with the public where he started releasing a song every Friday. They called it the good Friday sessions. And I think only a couple of those tunes actually ended up on the record, but he was like publishing, I don't know, 15 or more songs in over the course of 15 weeks and kind of getting feedback. And then I think continuing to work
0: on them. I I had something I read that was one of the reasons he was doing that was also it would help him avoid leaks. Like if he was the one putting out some of his songs right away that the album wouldn't get leaked, but I think it still may have anyway, because that just seems to happen. But yeah, I do think there was a there was a sort of a deliberate like rehabilitation of his image, you know, trying to build back some goodwill. But he also knew that this was a really high stakes like record for him. In fact, he there's a quote where he said he wanted to put himself in the in the mindset that that his life depended on the success of this record. I don't know to the extent that's true. I mean, he was already pretty set for life at that point but I think mentally and artistically he approached this as if if I don't nail this then you know I might just sort of fade into oblivion or although he's done a number of things in the meantime to remind everyone that he's not <laughs> the most normal guy, right?
1: Yeah, there's there's been some further tarnishments, I believe.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's let's get right into the music here cuz I think this'll uh, give us some some more to chew on here. Let's Take a listen to the song Power.
4: I'm living in that
3: 21st century, doing something mean to it. Do it better than anybody you ever seen. Do it, scream the ladies, got a nice ring to it. I guess be Super here not need his theme music. Don't Off the power the, system broken, the schools closed the open we ain't got nothing to lose we, uh, we with some girls and some and this white man world we the ones so good night i see you in the uh,
1: I I, th- well first of all i like this song a lot I think it's, I know it was a huge hit, but I don't think I was, I was not familiar with it. I suppose I can't claim I never heard it, but it, it struck me as brand new and I liked it right away when the gospel sample started. But then I had that great moment of totally unexpected King Crimson sample. That was great.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah. It's badass. It's a badass song.
2: I remember seeing this song for the first time on Saturday Night Live. Like, I feel like. Kanye is somebody that I've consistently, for whatever reason, seen his Saturday Night Live appearances and felt like, oh, this guy's always pushing it forward, whether I love it or hate it. Like, he's moving the ball. Yeah, and this song I remember and the the, the King Crimson sample, like, I remember also being sort of like, what?
0: Yeah, yeah it's, it is jarring, but in a good way of like, you know, I, I would imagine that 90, I'm just throwing out a number here, 90% of people who don't listen to prog rock probably had no idea what that was. We're probably like, okay, that's kind of cool. But then you have like the five to 10% of the geeks that were just like, whoa, that was awesome. Very well-placed. It's kind of obscure even for classic rock or even prog rock. It's not. Yes, it's,
1: it's kind of, I mean, I knew it was a hit back in the day, but still it's, I feel like you could ask a hundred music fans on the street. You'd get a lot of, Blank stares for 21st century schizoid. Band. <laughs> I
0: always wonder how those, how they felt about that, or how, you know, how these like old school prog rock bands feel about, you know, I mean, obviously they they sign off on it, but I'm always curious if they are, are into that kind of
1: thing. Well, they, and also we should say, sorry, I'm just thinking of this because somebody once played me, and I think it's the opening track on a different Kanye record. I forgive me, I don't know which one, where he samples Kid Charlemagne.
2: I went looking for that. I know I've heard that, but I, I couldn't find it. Obviously, I didn't dig that deep. But I know what you're talking about.
0: I wonder if that gets back to this idea, though. So, Rob, you've mentioned a few times this like art by committee or like collaboration. And I wonder if that's where the breath comes from in this kind of music. Where, And, and I have to think that's an advantage. It's the network effect where you're bringing in all these different perspectives and you know I I think it's probably unlikely that he had been sitting on this you know King Crimson line but you know I I do think that when you have that committee it can sometimes like water down the vision but I do think that's where you can get some of these moments that you know may not have happened otherwise
1: well I I think you have to be fully in charge the committee needs a leader a clear leader so I'm gonna guess that when it works well it's because he solicited lots of opinions or creative input but ultimately still was in control and and maybe had some kind of underlying vision that was directing it I think where it doesn't work for me is when it just feels like a cavalcade of modern hip-hop stars on the track for no particular reason and also the tracks themselves go on too long that's my one complaint about this song is it's like a lot of the songs, it's yeah,
2: right, right around like four minutes. Like it I goes have the into a whole note. other territory, and you're like, "Why'd you take it here?" Like I don't know that we needed a whole other change of direction now.
1: Right. It's it's long. So and all a lot of the songs are long in that way.
0: I I sometimes wonder if there's like a commercial reason for that that I'm that I'm not like clued into as like, hey, the the longer your your album is, the more traction you can get. I'm I'm not sure, but I. Have definitely knows all these songs really have a point with the exception of one I think that we're going to talk about I think have a very obvious end point and then it kicks back in and right just like all right
1: I would think of that as openly defiant to a lot of the mechanisms of the music industry like radio play or even the creation of music videos I mean every a music video that you're going to make or any film you know basically made like films every second of tape you need is going to be more expensive, right? So it's just going to be harder, not to mention just holding someone's attention span for that long or getting radio stations to play it. So I always saw it as sort of a defiant action on Kanye's part and it may a way to try to automatically get listeners to categorize him in a different category that was not a pop artist. That was, that was a significant artist with a capital A.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair point. He's definitely unconventional. I think some of his earlier music is a little bit more accessible than this but he you know certainly by this point very unconventional very much an individual but I, I I do love this song I had heard this song many many times before I knew it was him only because that beginning part the yeah uh I feel like that's been in so many like action movie trailers or like movie. Uh, I I
2: thought it was in like a shoe commercial, like a sort of inspirational shoe commercial possibly, or like a exercise equipment commercial, you know, like an Under Armour commercial or something.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's, I think it's one of those well-known sort of intros, but I I also, one thing I liked about the song, I mean, aside from being like huge anthemic triumphant, I, I think it, it's you know, it's a horrible pun here, but like it's a very powerful song. I feel like this had the, the one of my first thoughts listening to this was it was like the reverse BG's effect, where you know that BG song we talked about, where within two seconds I was like, this song sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like within the first two seconds, like, damn, you got me. Like I'm I'm in I'm in for the ride.
1: I agree, I agree, and it's there's a little bit of irony here because he's trying to reinvent himself, and yet this kind of gospel fueled sample gospel choir type sample is what i kind of think of him as known for like dipping into that realm of music he used it very successfully on his first what i assume is his first big hit jesus walks i i sort of just naturally associate that sound with him so it's surprising that it's surprising but it, yeah it works great it's a really successful track
0: agreed and i think it, i think this one in particular of all the songs shows his like producer chops like even if he didn't rap on it at all i think shows that other side of him that's like hey i'm still you know i can still do this and do the rap thing at the same time
2: lyrically i think the song also is the first song i feel like where he gets into this this theme that is persistent where he like he seems to think of his fame as like it's like a sand timer right like he he is both like hugely egoic but seems to like hint at this fear, this fear that like I will die and I will lose what I have. Or or that
0: he, I, I agree with that. I also kind of read it as in this song and, and some of the other songs as well of like, I've created this monster that I can't necessarily control and yeah, everything yeah, I yeah. do has could potentially have some really like catastrophic kind of consequence because I wield this power that, That I probably shouldn't have, but I do, and I don't know how to control it. So I don't know. I I might be getting too much into like English professor territory here, but I do think there's a lot of like that vulnerability um, on this album as well.
2: Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of sort of self questioning.
1: Yeah, and that that makes it endearing for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. And then that's a that's a theme for me that anytime someone's trying to to be too self serious or too hard at all times it just reads as phony to me and put on and i need that little sense of
0: vulnerability mm-hmm. just in any music this
2: doesn't feel put on to me
0: right agreed all right let's move on to the next track which is called all of the lights
4: all
1: Okay, well, here we are on the other side of the coin. I think this is grandiose bullshit, and it's pretty much everything I dislike about modern pop music encapsulated into, oh, sorry, encapsulated into like a 17-minute song, or what feels like a 17-minute song.
2: (laughs) Oh, I don't know, man. I think it rips pretty hard. I, uh, maximalist, this is definitely maximalist. I agree. I agree with you there. I like... I like how the intensity, the maximalism matches the lyrics, right? It's always like turn the lights down low, but he know he wants to turn the lights on. He wants everybody to see what he's going to do, right? Like, again, it's like super ego, except that's not what super ego is at all. Like
0: the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of a yes end on this one. So, Rob, <laughs> Rob everything you said is correct. It's It's pomposity. It's ridiculousness it's theater of the absurd but it's fucking cool i know i know that these kinds of songs can be like highly it's almost like they're made in a lab by like a scientist wearing a lab coat who knows exactly which levers to pull to to get that sound and there were at times i remember putting a note down that was like this sounds like it should be the background music for like a rocky training montage because it just had that cheesy sort of triumphant sound I didn't love the sort of hand drums that were happening in between also could have ended around four minutes but I thought it was super catchy and it definitely stuck with me
1: yeah and it's something about that horn line it just feels empty the synth tones generally are empty it's
2: a very synthy horn and you get a lot of it I mean it comes at you straight for like five straight minutes you know
1: the melodies weren't they felt underworked, kind of lame, and just adding lots of voices. I think I la- is this the one where Bonnie Bear was on the track somehow? Like I laughed out loud when I looked at Spotify and saw Bonnie Bear's name. <laughs> no, on these
2: no, tracks. he's on. He's on Monster. He was a on a couple others. of them
0: actually. I don't. I I don't know if he was on this song. You know who was on this song though was Elton John.
2: Oh yeah, let's talk about
1: that. So. <laughs> Is that that's him in the piano interlude which is separated out to a separate track I think right or maybe he's somewhere else in the track too but the the thing that the track that precedes it I believe is him playing piano and then my question is why did they separate him out into his own track instead of just mashing it all together into one track because he doesn't have a problem with long tracks that go through multiple movements
2: I would guess the answer to that is cuz Elton John did not physically show up He did in Hawaii He did
1: he did. I heard the story. he was there
2: with everybody else,
1: well, I don't know if he was there at the same time as Rick Ross, but he was there,
0: yeah, no, i think I think rob's right like i I can't speak if he was there, but it it definitely was not a like correspondence course type of album, like he flew these people in. he booked every studio within avex studio oh
2: yeah, i mean i I saw like you know he's renting out all three rooms for like a week at a time twenty four hours a day, right, so yeah. well.
1: I heard, I don't know, I can't remember what Kanye's buddy's name is, Malik or something, like, one of his production partners or whatever, but he was talking about bringing Elton John in and how everyone's laughing at him. Like, Elton John, like, what are you, what are you doing, bro? This guy's <laughs> in hip-hop, and he's like, dude, you don't you don't understand any music. This is music, baby. Like, he had the vision for it, you know, yeah, but all yeah. these other dudes are sitting around smoking blunt, laughing at he's him. He's like,
0: you can't bring in Elton John, but we got this King Crimson shit on the back burner that's
1: tight <laughs> as fuck. Right, exactly. <laughs>
0: Yeah,
2: do you do you think it's Elton John playing at like the three minute mark when like the when the Crossroads guy comes in because that's a fun part for me. You know what I'm talking about when it turns into like a Bone Thugs and Harmony song.
0: I think it is. Like I'd have to go back (laughs) and listen there. That that's another part of of one issue I have with this album that we're we're hammering quite a bit is it it's it's so chaotic and there's so many things happening that whenever I saw these cameos I tried to listen for some of them and I couldn't always discern who was doing what because there was just this like cacophony so I actually don't know but we can we can drop that clip in to uh, to get a sense
2: go and get your
1: John. I forgot about the Bone Thugs part. I I did like that part. But you're right. There's just so much going on in these songs. I doubt that some of these vocalists can hear themselves in the final mix, right? <laughs> and I the, the impression I got from hearing people, from hearing Kanye interviews and stuff, is that he he just had so many people coming through, doing verses, doing different little parts. Probably this is what Elton John's thing was like, is that... He played in a bunch of parts on the song, and then the performer leaves, Kanye figures out how to put it together, or Kanye and his team, right? And the result is that he's got all this stuff in his vaults. That's what they were talking about in this interview. Like oh the all the verses, all the extra snippets of performance that Kanye has in his vaults. He could just keep making music just based on that pre recorded material, like indefinitely.
2: Just like hard drives and hard drives of Pro Tools sessions
1: right so to be honest it made me wonder if they cut elton john out i'm not sure they actually cut him out but i it made me wonder why the interlude was separate from the rest of the song given his predilection for super long songs was like a royalty thing
4: mm. Mm. like
1: this song if this song is going to be the hit then i don't have to pay elton john if maybe i don't
0: know right well if you're paying these six other people
2: you gotta think of it strategically like that you know
1: well, yeah, and there's also an orchestra in the, that beginning part. I don't know if they come back, right? So, maybe, yeah, maybe it was a way to...
0: Yeah, because it wasn't just Elton John. Among the other credits on here, or uh, featured collaborators, John Legend, Alicia Keys, Drake. So these are not, like, lightweights. I defy you to find where Drake is in this track. <laughs> oh, I had a fucking idea. <laughs> uh, okay, speaking of uh, super collaboration madness let's listen to the track monster oh,
3: just another lonely night are you willing to sacrifice your life <laughs> it's I'm a monster no good blood sucker Fat motherfucker, now look who's in trouble As you run through my jungles, all you hear is rumble Kanye West Samples, here's one for example Gossip, gossip, nigga just stop it Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert Profit, profit, nigga I get it Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert I'ma need to see your fucking hands uh, The best living or dead hand. Down, huh? Let's talk more here right now, huh? And my eyes more red than the devil is and about to take it to another level, bitch. Now who you going yeah, ain't nobody codes this do the rap and a track, triple double no And my only focus is staying on some bogus shit, arguing with my older bitch, acting like I owe shit. I heard the future same rap that gave a track pain.
0: I I put this on our list because It's I've seen a lot of people refer to this song as like one of the standout tracks. I do think it's a standout track because it's just so (laughs) bizarre, but it's just it's a straight rap onslaught like this is, I think, what, what you're talking about. And I always picture like. These like Super Bowl halftime shows, where somebody comes out and raps for like two verses, and then another celebrity gets trotted out, and then someone else gets trotted out. That's what this song kind of felt like to me. I mean, you have like Kanye, Jay Z, Rick Ross, Nicki Minaj, who this is apparently her her breakout kind of appearance in in in, in this work. But I, I really didn't know what to make of of the song.
1: So I felt similar, kind of similarly to All the Lights, which is, it, I get it, A for effort, it's a swing for the fences approach, maximalist approach to making tracks, but this is a hard listen for me. This is not, this is a hot, this is even messier, a hotter mess than than my last complaint about the track. I see now that this is the one where I laughed out loud when I said Bonnie Vere somehow was credited <laughs> on this track. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I think that's Bonnie Vere at the beginning. I think the very, in, the intro is like a singing part. And it's all, like, digitized. I I would guess that's Bon Iver. It's
1: intro, outro, second coda, fifth verse. Who cares? I'm, like, literally, I wrote that. I, I was groaning and looking at my watch and, or looking at the clock and going, there's still three minutes left on this song? Like, what is going on
0: Which is on right how I now. normally feel admitted into a Bon Iver song. So, I guess yeah. it's... A- <laughs> uh,
2: I definitely... I mean, I'm with enough. you guys on this one. I mean, this is just, like, Jesus Christ. And it just keeps coming, and it's, like... I don't think any of it's particularly good... Um, is it, you're saying this is like Nicki Minaj at like three and a half minutes?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I do think she, the Nicki Minaj verse has personality. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I did take note of it. It reminds me at times a little bit of like the ODB verses on the first Wu Tang record, where she kind of swings into singing and rapping in and out. Yeah
4: i a monster, automobile gangster. With a bad bitch that came from Sri Lanka. Yeah, I'm in a tanker, color a Willy wanka You could be the king, but watch the queen come. Okay. First things first, I eat your brain. Then I'ma start rocking gold teeth and fangs. cause that's what a motherfucking monster do. He dressed up from Milan. That's the monster do. Monster just a big heel. That's the monster show. Young money is the roster and a monster crow. And I'm pull up, pull up, pull up in the bank with a funny face. And But
2: Like reggaeton sort of thing yeah, It's cool something like that <laughs>
1: but Like a lot of what's going on in This record it would be more effective if it was shorter Like it goes on way too long it, does, that it does
0: In fact actually I Read that he I don't I don't have a source for this so this is this might Just be hearsay but apparently he almost Left this album off because She sort of stole the show On this and and As they were like doing the final mixes That was what people were, were Talking about most um I believe that he is that insecure That he would consider that But that does tell me that You know she definitely like Made her mark on this track I believe it's pronounced insecure (laughs) (laughs) All right Let's move on to the next track Called Devil in a New Dress Uh. Uh. I love it
3: though I love it, though, (laughs) you know? Uh, Put your hands to the constellations The way you look should be a sin You my sensation (laughs) I know I'm preaching to the congregation We love Jesus, but you done learned a lot from Satan I mean, a nigga did a lot of waiting We ain't married, but tonight I need some consummation May the Lord forgive us May the gods be with us In that magic hour I've seen good Christians make brass decisions Oh, she do it What happened to religion? Oh, she lose it She putting on her makeup She casually a lord text message break-ups, the of How she wake up and not love me no
1: more all right if it's not clear already this album is defined by high highs and low lows and I have one question for this track why is there so much not at all exciting but kind of passable for a high school 90s cover band distorted electric guitar playing <laughs> on this record <laughs> there
2: there there's a couple- times on this record where i think man they are, this actually is a great spot for a guitar solo and they kind of don't come up there are one or two times where it comes in but then it's not good it's not like a good guitar solo
1: it's so middling it's like somebody's nephew just got their first practice amp
2: and a really and cool a fuzz fuzz pedal. and a really cool pedal Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sure, yeah. So this is my i wonder who's fuzz.
3: playing on that
0: i mean you can't it's probably not anybody notable if yeah
1: yeah, I was kind of asking myself if it was Kanye playing guitar. I didn't look that up because I don't think he plays guitar. But I I thought that's a bad sign if I'm asking
0: if it's Kanye playing guitar. It is a bad sign. I don't think he plays. I think and I think that is has been one of his insecurities in the past is that he you know, people haven't thought of him as a musician because he doesn't play piano. You know, he can get around a keyboard and and you know, build build music that way, but he's he's not like a, a musician in that traditional sense. So, uh, but you know, I wouldn't put it past him to pick up a guitar at three in the morning and, you know, flip on some, some dirt. Yeah, I'm looking a at
2: some of the other names here. I'm wondering if any of these guys like, you know, maybe I guess it could be, what's his name? Bon Iver.
1: Oh, no. I've heard enough. I don't think so. I don't think, I don't so. think
0: so I mean, how much Bon Iver do you need on, on an album for Christ's sake? <laughs>
1: No, if they're going to use him, they're going to use him for the falsetto vocal that he's kind of known for. He's not, like, known as a guitar player. I, I, I don't know who it was, but... And I forgot to timestamp this next complaint, but when he vamps on the Satan, Satan, Satan line, is he doing a church lady impression? What is that? The
3: congregation, we love Jesus. She done learned a lot from Satan. Satan, Satan, I wish I knew. I there
0: I had... There's, there are more questions than answers. I'm afraid with, <laughs> with parts of this album.
2: Nah, this, this this totally works for me though, Rob. I, I take this all. Really? Time. Yeah. I don't know why. So just, yeah.
1: So actually, so this is the low point for me, at least of the focus list, because even the other two songs that I didn't love, all the lights and monster, they're big, ambitious productions. He's trying for something, and just because he doesn't hit exactly what I want, I still respect the effort. I still respect the maximalist approach. This just felt indicative kind of just boring groove productions with random celebrity cameos on it. I was not, you know, and there were a couple other tracks like this on the record. Those are the ones that bummed me out when you take a big swing. And, and for me as a listener, you miss, I still give you credit. I'm still okay with
0: that. I do hear that. The What I would say is I also really like the song. I, I thought it was one of the better songs. And I think it could have been because it was a little bit of a breather between, you know, like you can't just go balls to the wall like the entire time. And I think it was a little bit well, of... Well, you could,
2: you could just drop some of the songs out, right?
0: You definitely could. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> apparently he was not aware of that option. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I think for me, like, yes, this does play as like a bit of a standard, just kind of groove driven track. But I thought the the beat, which in hip hop, I guess refers to also not just like the drum beat, but the, the hook, you know, sort of the melody. I thought the beat was really good on this. Like yeah, I thought, do you know
2: where this is sampled from?
0: I don't know who it is, but I mean the bass line. this is a fucking great bass line. Like mm-hmm. I can see this being something that I just pick up and play, you know, as I'm uh, just picking up the bass and like noodling around. I, I thought it was, I thought the groove was that good that it, it definitely made the song for me.
1: It looks like it's Smokey Robinson's "Will You Love Me Tomorrow."
0: Mm -hmm. I don't know that song, but I'm assuming it has a great bass. Me
1: neither. Me neither. But that's what's on WhoSampled.com.
2: I'm I'm sure it's dead.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the last track, which is a track called "Runaway." jump in here with thoughts on this song and I'm sure we'll be torn apart and is open to as much debate as you want on this. This is one of the best hip hop songs that I've ever heard. I think this song is, I don't, I almost wouldn't call it a song. Like I feel like this is more of a composition. It does suffer from a lot of the same aspects that we've been talking about this whole time. There are parts where you know, tightening up would be an understatement, but to me, there's just so much happening with the song. I, I think it's I think it's an amazing song.
2: I I agree. And I, my only thing is like you call it a hip hop song. Like I feel like in a lot of ways this is like an indie rock song. Like this is like a gorilla song. Also, I sort of love that Kanye can't sing, but he just sings anyway.
0: Like <laughs> well, and I I also like that because he's obviously very familiar with autotune, more than probably anybody on planet Earth, and so he could have easily throwing that in there but kept it and i think it's a little it's it's more than a little out of tune but i think i think it's kind of endearing a little bit so i've been a little harsh
1: on kanye and my understanding now after researching this is that this was a mega hit that i definitely should have heard before but i swear i've never heard this song before this week and in the first 40 seconds well, actually i'll start with a plate. in the first 40 <laughs> seconds i was like kanye you're high as hell with this shit." i don't know about this <laughs> but on the first listen i said this is easily the best song it's a great song i agree with what phil was implying which i think it transcends the genre it's that good i will definitely listen to this song again and it has elements yes it has elements of indie rock it reminded me of it reminded me of the best things i like about hip-hop especially golden era hip-hop like damn it feels good to be a gangsta ghetto boys track right kind of had that vibe but also stuff yeah indie rock from the late 90s to early 2000s like beta band or who did you just say phil
2: oh like gorillas or gorillas yeah yeah.
1: so yeah i think it you get the combination of heart through what he's talking about and it's relatable and he's kind of he's copying to something that feels real He's got some melody. He's got a lot of great sonic texture in it, from the drums to the piano to even just like the little the way that he harmonizes his own vocal in the verse. I think is really nice, really tasty.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Now he uses the Rick the Rick James "Look at You" uh, sample. At is that you, what he's look yeah. yeah, look at you, yeah. And it's too long, also, right? It has like a three minute outro with him being auto tuned through a vocoder to death. Which is ultimately kind of boring. It's
2: nine minutes.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's at least three minutes. minutes too long. It's
2: it's like it's like a Pink Floyd song. Well, yeah.
1: enough. I don't mind. I like long songs. <laughs> sure. Just to be just to be clear and consistent, I like long songs. This song works for me. But if I was a radio DJ, I'd play the first six minutes and I'd be certainly be fading every single time at the end.
0: Yeah, the vocoder outro is I, there's a definite fatigue factor by that point. What I tried to tell myself though was, if this were a guitar solo, like would I think the same thing? And I would still probably think that it was a bit meandering, and you know could could certainly be a little bit tighter. But I felt like it changed my my perspective on like a if it were a long guitar outro. I don't know. It was just like a different framing for me. But it is it is very strange. I don't yeah. know what he's even saying it, it, at that time. But it definitely feels like a just kind of a release.
1: It would really depend on the notes in the solo, though. It's not. I'm not just going to judge something based on the byline of what the track is. You know what the track is labeled, right? So I just think it just doesn't do much or create new aspects to the song. But that said, overridingly, th- I'm really positive on this song. I think it's great, and it just should have been. It, it could have been cut like a lot of things. I like the "I'm just young, rich, and tasteless" line. I think that's a great line. You mentioned Kanye's singing voice. I think he has a perfectly fine singing voice for songs like this. And like I said, he when he harmonizes himself or or that's what it sounded like to me, yeah, maybe it was somebody else in here. that verse. Yeah, I think
2: it sounds good here.
1: But he does hit really one really bad note when he says the word intimacy, I believe.
3: Invisibly set the Rolex is faceless. I'm just young rich and you, tasteless. He never was much of a romantic.
2: I could never take the intimacy. And I know it did it's funny, this isn't my notes, he hits a bad note, but he sticks it so hard that it's like, <laughs> is, you know, it's like... Is that it's is one it? of those things,
1: you're <laughs> spending 5,000 hours on these productions, you have 75 people in the room with you, you couldn't have just, I'm sure he could have gotten that. It wasn't, I'm sure a hard he note.
2: tried auto-tuning it and was like, nah, <laughs> like, I <had> no doubt <laughs> somebody was like, "Yo, we, can we at least hear it? And he was like, alright, here you go, no, fuck that, <laughs> It
1: was just a conspicuous error to leave on the take. Maybe he thought it added to his vulnerability overall and the, the gist of the song or whatever. But, it, you know, it, it reminded me a little mm-hmm. bit on the Bell and Sebastian one Tom and now I can never unhear it. I can't even remember what song it is, where there's just like a hit on a guitar and the guy just hits dead strings and they just leave it <laughs> in there.
0: It's like, that would have been so easy to redo. It, it, is, uh, it is a bit of a contradiction of this being this meticulous bombastic album and just letting something like that go. But I, I, I do, I do agree. I mean, it was obviously intentional and I think gives it a little bit more humanity. There were a couple things that I really liked about this song and I wasn't clued into this until there, there's a great, I don't know how long the podcast has been going on, but it's called dissect. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that, but it's, it's a, it's a guy who basically does like what we're doing, except he'll, he'll spend like 45 minutes on a song and so he did a, like a two-part podcast just on this song. And one of the things he talks about I th- I thought was really cool, which is the piano in the beginning since there's no beat behind it, when the when the kick in happens, it sounds a little bit jarring, but it sounds really powerful. Like let's kind of drop that in here if it if we didn't once that kicks in and the piano keeps going the piano hits on the 2 and the 4 right and so what this guy did was he he sort of rearranged it and and played it on the 1 and the 3 and it sounded way different and way less like impactful and effective yeah. so You know, and obviously when a piano is coming in by itself, you don't know whether it's the one, the two, you know, you're just like, it sounds like the one because it's the first note that's Uh hit. So I think, I think those kind of like subtleties are, are all over this album and I wouldn't have picked it up from like a musician's perspective, but hearing somebody explain it like that and then kind of knowing why that impact is happening, like subconsciously to me was, was, a was sort of eye-opening.
2: No, I, that makes sense. It's like, you know, we talked about this when we covered The Police. Like that's a trick they do a lot, right? Where like they're a little more active, it's coming at you a little harder, right? But they love a guitar part or a bass line that sort of kicks the song off and then the drums come in sort of sideways feeling. And this definitely had that effect. I also noticed when I went to like learn this on keyboards, my instinct was to play the, the part twice as fast, right? And it was sort of, you know, it wasn't until I brought in the other hand that I was like, oh, I never should have been going that fast, right? Because it's... Uh, I'm
0: picturing Phil sitting there learning this on keyboard just going ding, ding for like <laughs> f- four
2: minutes straight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. I,
1: no, I, I appreciate it. Just to be clear, I think the intro was successful because it paid off into into a good kick in. And I agree, that is a tasty little trick where a riff is, you don't know where the riff goes in the measure, and then the drums tell you where it goes in the measure, and it subverts your expectation a little bit. I think a lot of bands use that, and it's used well here. And I liked how, you know, listeners won't know this, but on the texturing, this kicked off a fun little exploration of other tracks called Runaway, including a Jamiroquai song and a Del Shannon jam. So, yeah, you know, this has got a long lineage. Don't go publishing a new song called Runaway
0: unless it's really really good (laughs) unless it's runaway train in which case just stop (laughs) entirely (laughs) uh awesome cool well i think we've covered a lot of ground here with some of these individual tracks the last thing that remains is to inform you dear listeners
1: hold on one second before we before we vote we haven't touched on the cover yet and i feel like i gotta get one more all right the judge has to hear this bit of testimony (laughs) Which is, this sucks. (laughs) This cover sucks. And I heard the artist speaking about it. Talk about pretentious BS. This is a paraphrase, but the artist said something like, the cartoon is a very bizarre weapon against the intellectual concept of what our supposedly high art society is about. That idea of an interracial couple on an album is something that had never been done. And to use a childlike way, they had to ban it. The subject was too
0: politically charged. They had to ban it. What are you talking about? (laughs) As soon as I heard high art, I I was out on that that quote in general.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I find it pretty interesting visually. I was a little confused why it was like blurred out. I don't really see why it was blurred out. I've seen much more offensive things that, you know, weren't pixelated. I can see why it was blurred out. But yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, like, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I would expect to find for, like, $5 or less, like, floating around, like, uh, Goodwill. It looks like, art <laughs> Phil,
0: you've been sending around these, like, AI-generated, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, like, yeah.
0: images that you just put in keywords and it just spits out. It kind of, I thought it looked... If you had put like inter- interracial, you know, demon sex,
4: yeah. <laughs> that
2: that's what it might spit out. Yeah. All right.
0: I
1: just, it didn't feel like, you're not going to convince me that a lot of thought went into this. A lot of thought went into the rest of it. A lot of hard work, a lot of creative discipline, not into the cover. I'm sorry. I can't be convinced of that.
0: I, I think I'm with you there. I, I think sometimes it's possible to just read into something a little too much or, or try to over-interpret yeah, I, I I found very little redeeming on that front. So, dear listener, let that uh, be a a uh, mitigating factor in uh, in the decision making process here. Which we will begin with you, Phil. Do you think this belongs on the list?
2: So, I just want to mention before I I deliver my final vote that there is a lot of. Cuttable junk on this record. Like, I honestly, th- I mean, I know we're not gonna dig into them, but like we we could cut like any three of the last four songs, right? It doesn't matter. I'm also just not sure that the first two songs matter either. It's almost 10 minutes of music. So, I mean, honestly, I'm gonna listen to this like tomorrow. Like, I'm totally hooked. But and yes, and yes, this does belong on the list of 1,001 albums you should hear before you die. But that's a yes, but. Because, man, there, it is very bloated. Uh, but I do think this is worth listening.
1: So I've been hard on Kanye and on some of these tracks and on the bloat that we all more or less agreed to. But I would have to agree that this is a must-listen. I'm happy I listened to this, and furthermore, I'm not done with this. The tracks do not hang together, but I think that was definitely by design. It's a variety pack. It's got a lot in there. There's certainly a lot of layers to what's happening, and it doesn't have to all appeal to me. That's perfectly fine. But I like the ambition. I like the creative expression, just the trying things approach, and I totally believe that this... I'll speak a little bit out of my depth here, which is to say that a lot of modern music isn't even trying to take chances and be innovative. And Kanye, certainly on display, based on this evidence is is really trying some things. And I really appreciate that.
2: I agree.
0: Yeah. I think that was really well said on, on both fronts. Um, if it, if it's not obvious, it's, it's a definite yes for me. I think, you know, one of the things that I've enjoyed the most about doing this podcast is being confronted with a change in in the way I see music or changing the paradigm of what I think constitutes good music. And th- this has been like a, a find for me, really, because in my head, like I've always, I've always known that people in the business, people in hip hop consider him like the goat, you know, like one of the greatest to, to ever do it. I've never really been able to tell why that is. I still am not going to go as far as to say that's the case cuz I just don't have the like the history behind me, but I now at least get a window into like some of the things that make him like a really unique artist and a really talented musician. I think his his vision is very unorthodox and I think he he's going for things that do not seem like they would make sense together but when they come together whether it's through you know his single vision or whether it's his his committee or his collaborators I think it just works and I think it sounds really good and it's different and I think whether you like him or not as a person I this is arguably his best album and I think for you know for all those reasons it's definitely a must listen it's it's not for everybody. I think some people might listen to it once and be done with it. Um, I'm also not done with it, but I think for all those reasons, it's uh, definitely belongs on the list.
1: Full full approval, Kanye. You did it
0: despite despite yourself. You <laughs> you made it on onto the list. You were finally redeemed from stealing the microphone from a young Taylor Swift back in 2009. So all that leaves us with now is to figure out what we are going to listen to next week. Without Tom, did he bestow the albinator to you, Rob?
1: That's right. He shipped it over to me and cased in dry ice, and I've just unwrapped its outer coating here and um, ready to, to fire this bad boy up. So let's go ahead and see what our listening week is going to be like, our homework for next week. The album we will be covering next week will be, drum roll, please, The Mars Volta, Deloused in the Comatorium. Ooh.
0: Interesting. I heard recently that, is that the one that Flea was on? Am I like thinking of? Like, I think I, he I...
1: might play on that. Yeah, that sounds right. And I think they're on tour again now they broke up for a long time and
0: they might be on like a reunion tour now well i know that one of their other bass players who was like i want to say his name's like juan al he was like a longtime bass player who i think he like almost died in a, in some kind of like motorcycle accident or something yeah they're 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 pretty prog man they're they're out there i think this is another i know this
1: to be another ambitious album but i have to admit i don't know much about its creation or i'm, I'm not super familiar with it myself so i'm excited to dive in
0: I think that's going to be an interesting one Um, going, going back to another uh, sort of probably complicated, messy album, but uh, it'll be a a curious listen. Well, in the meantime, we'd love for you to let us know what did we get right? What did we get wrong? Do you agree, disagree with our opinions? We'd love from hear from you that that email address again is 1001 album complaints at gmail.com. So hit us up, let us know what you think. And we look forward to you taking another ride with us along the way with that i'm alan i'm phil and i'm rob let's have a toast for the boosh bags